The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. One, can you hear me okay? Is that loud enough? So welcome, and uh, both here in person and online on this Christmas morning. For those of you who celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. For those of you who don't, Merry anyway. (laughs) A day of cheer. I've been inspired by Christians who celebrate Christians who celebrate Christmas as a a day of love, kind of a universal love. So, um, today, a little bit uh, following and continuing kind of a theme that I've been teaching this last week, I want to start with a quotation from the Buddha where he says something like, um, if it were not possible, it was, if it was not possible to cultivate the wholesome, I would not teach you or instruct you to cultivate the wholesome. But it is possible to cultivate the wholesome. Therefore, I instruct you or teach you to cultivate the wholesome. So, uh, it's a kind of, I think of it a kind of a celebration statement about our potential. That we have the potential, whether or not we use it, to uh, do things that are wholesome. The Pali word is kusala. And, um, you know, if we want to make it really simple in English, we would say, do good. But uh, that kind of misses some of the nuances or richness of the term that the word kusala uh, means both something which is really wholesome or beneficial or helpful. It also refers to something which is skillful, which is done well for a particular purpose. And then you have to ask, well, what's the purpose? But uh, when you translate it as wholesome, then the purpose is itself. It's to be nourished, to be supported, to do something that feels like it's whole-making, makes you whole or wholehearted or something, part, part of it. But the, kind of the, the idea of wholesomeness is uh, the, that what is ben- beneficial for us or beneficial for the world. That it's a non-afflictive, it's the absence of causing any kind of harm to oneself and to others and to uh, be for our welfare. So this, this, this language of for our welfare, for our benefit, to help us, to develop us, to strengthen us, all kinds of things. We have this potential. Now, we could just ignore that potential or just kind of take it on some kind of faith. Well, I'm good enough. I don't have to do anything special. You know, I just can go along with my life and, you know, I'll stop for, I'll stop for pedestrians, you know, and, you know, you know, I live a good life. But the, um, but the word... Um, so that's fine, you know, maybe you live a basically good life. But uh, it's possible to cultivate this wholesome so that it brings a feeling, a sense of inner thriving, a, a sense of abundance within. 
And uh, this is part of what uh, the teachings of the Buddha was about, was not just to do good for yourself and for the world, but to cultivate something that brings a kind of fullness, a wholeness, an abundance, a phenomenal sense of thriving from the inside out. So our sense of thriving does not depend on uh, conditions in the world that, uh, you know, that, uh, but rather has to do with the conditions of our own heart, our own inner life. And so there's a lot of attention given to this inner, inner life that we want to cultivate and develop. And I was kind of, maybe because I was giving this talk, I was struck when I was meditating with all of you now, that after some minutes, there was a clear shift within me. And the shift was, you know, I've been thinking about th- things over these th- last few days and coming down here. And, and so I was still kind of a little bit, my mind was a little bit in the momentum of my concerns, my thoughts, my activities lately. And then after sitting here breathing for a while, I could feel there was a shift. And I, I could say, oh, now I'm here. It took me five minutes or it took me a while, but now I'm here. And now I was here and could feel the sense of being here, not just in this room, but more uh, kind of uh, physically almost, I'm, f- I'm here in this body. It's almost like now I'm connected and I had this f- sense of expansive space in my body when I was finally here. Okay, here I am. And, um, and now I could feel that now that I'm here in the space of my body, now there was space for the good, for the wholesome, for the beneficial to flow or to grow. Whereas when I was caught up in my thoughts, uh, the space within was kind of tight. If I even was paying attention to the space, there was no space. It was tight, it was contracted. I was kind of in my head in a sense. And, and the head is a very different place for to be the source of the wholesome than it is to be kind of here in this body, grounded in it, with space in it for something to flow and to well up and to be here. The difference is that when I'm in my head, I could have the idea and the admonition, I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to do nice things. And, and uh, it comes from a conceptual conceiving world of logic, ideas, things I've learned from other people, how things should be. It's a place because I'm so disconnected to the rest of me, it's difficult sometimes to notice the bias that's operating there. It just seems like it's the truth or something. And, um, and there's all kinds of biases by which, you know, this thinking mind can live by without even being seen. But when I dropped in that moment where things switched and I could feel, oh, here I am, I found that I wasn't as interested in my thoughts anymore. They were okay, but they weren't really the name of the game. And, but I had much more clarity about it. And, and I had much more choice about what I did next. I had some choice about whether to stay there. Or I had some choice to, you know, I had, I had some really good thoughts going, so, you know. And, uh, and so I could go back up in those thoughts. And, um, you know, I had a choice. But I could feel that what felt wholesome, what felt really good and nice place to be, was settled here in the present, in this open space in my body within, that it was a, there I could generate different, it was a different source for choices I make, 
different choice for what I want to develop or how I want to be, what, or different choice about what I want to give energy to. The, um, you know, what do I fo- you focus on is, you know, gives a kind of energy to things and keeps things spinning and going sometimes. But if you give your, your attention here inside, um, and there's uh, qualities of generosity or love or kindness or gentleness, calmness, uh, wisdom, then to focus on that within makes room for it, allows that to grow, makes space for it, uh, validates it, uh, uh, authorizes it to kind of be there. It's okay, you're allowed to be there, it's good. I'm not going to overlook you. One of the interesting things about this switch to kind of really being here, it was a little bit easier to see that these deeper feelings, deeper way of being, was not so connected to my usual self-identity my usual kind of self that I'm operating and this is how I need to be and this is what I need to do and this is what those people did to me. Um, but there was something, you know, it was certainly happening within me, but I was less inclined to take it, you know, to take it personally or to claim it or appropriate these inner wholesome feelings. I could feel that if I appropriated it, it made sm- smaller space for it. So we have this wholesome, the Buddha said, cultivate the wholesome. And then he offered things like meditation practice as, a, as I think of it as a seed bed that you prepare so these seeds of the wholesome can grow. Uh, and that's a very different way of thinking about it, just saying, do it, <laughs> just do it. Which might come then from the conceptual mind, the head, it might come from all kinds of other places than just coming from <clears throat> the seed bed deep inside that wells up and flows. So one of the things that's needed if we want to cultivate the wholesome is desire. And uh, <clears throat> without some desire for it, uh, why would we do it? Why would we put any energy, effort into it? And I emphasize this, emphasis, this, this uh, idea of the need for desire because uh, I think that uh, generally us Buddhist teachers, including myself, um, 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 don't talk about desire in a good way that often. Don't hold it up as being important. If anything, we talk about you know attachment and craving and thirst and greed and the issue we should let go of, and it could easily and we, you know easily kind of desire gets put into that same category. Just listening to us. <clears throat> but uh, without some kind of desire for the wholesome, why would we cultivate it? Why would we focus on it? And um, so, and the Buddha actually said that. He talks about, you know, have the desire for practice, have the desire to cultivate, you know, awaken desire for the wholesome. So, can, I think, you know, a little bit does. Buddhist teachers need to spend a little time reclaiming desire as a good thing, as a, as a place for us. The danger for doing that is, uh, in any kind of uh, uh, instructions to cultivate something, develop something, is one, there's lots of dangers. One danger is it puts us in the self-help camp. And a lot, there's such a strong momentum in many parts of the culture around here to be self-help, which just becomes another attempt to reinforce and develop 
you know, your, your, your idea, your glory as a self. And the danger of that is that it's impossible to maintain that. So sooner or later you'll crash and uh, you can't live up to the hype and the, you know, of kind of building up a good, perfect self. It's no such thing. The other thing is that some people here, I have a kind of few people, occasionally you see it somewhere in this kind of part of the world, a certain kind of neurotic attitude towards doing. The more the better, you have to do more, you have to be efficient, you know, you have to get ahead, you have to, you know, work 60 hours a week if you're kind of want to, you know, but ideally 75. But you have a generous boss, so it's only 60. And, um, you know, this emphasis on, you know, doing, doing, doing. And then we have so much possibilities for many of us here that um, uh, even those of us who don't have to struggle to survive, we, you know, so many things we feel like we should do and accomplish and manage and keep up. And so this idea of doing is kind of, that lends itself to more, doing even more. I'm so busy already, now I have to do this Buddhism thing on top of it? <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, because of the certain kind of neurotic sense of doing and, and attainment and, and, and proving oneself, uh, Buddhist teachers in the West have made a lot of emphasis on um, not doing, on acceptance, and just letting yourself be, just being which has been very powerful for many Westerners because it allows something to unwind and to settle. And then at some point, maybe they have that switch that I described earlier today. You switch and, oh, now I'm here. I feel, yeah, it's okay just to be. And then you can turn on the desire. You can turn, then you can maybe have the desire for the wholesome. You can switch it on um, in a wholesome way, and that's the art of it. How do you have desire which is wholesome? How do you have desire which you feel uh, nourished by, you feel inspired by, you feel you're delighted to have this desire? Wow, I'm so lucky. I get to have this wonderful desire. It's not a burden. It doesn't, feel, doesn't you don't add it to your to-do list, like, okay, desire, wholesome states. Check that off. Done that. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's like wow. Just even having that desire feels like wow. That's pretty cool. Is that possible? It is. But I think it requires a really being grounded, settled here in the present moment in yourself. If you're racing around in your head, spinning around with thoughts, ideas, racing around with your body. And then it's hard to find that seedbed, that source inside, where there can be this welling up of almost a selfless desire. It's almost as if it's not really, you know, part of your usual contracted sense of self. And feel the goodness of it. Oh, here is something within me that really cares for me, that really wants the best in me, that wants the best even for the world. Because how can I support and bring welfare and happiness to others if I don't have it myself? So this desire, oh, look at that. It's almost like kind of wakes you up to pay attention. Oh, look at that desire. Desire for the wholesome, for the beneficial. 
the desire to thrive emotionally or psychologically or, you know, this inner spiritual way that we talk about in Buddhism. Are we allowed to do that? There are people who feel they're not allowed to do that. Uh, I've known people whose own kind of teachings they got, not Buddhist, growing up, was uh, you were absolutely not supposed to have a lot of joy because joy was kind of almost like bordered on a carnal sin. And so, and so kind of held to hold back. I, I've known people who've held themselves back in meditation because they couldn't get themselves, wouldn't let themselves get concentrated because as we get concentrated, there tends to be good feelings that come. And some of those good feelings are very physical. And they're like, I'm not allowed to do that. There's something wrong with that. And then there's people who feel that uh, any kind of focus on personal well-being uh, is somehow selfish, and all you're, you're supposed to be altruistic all the time. <clears throat> and so the self-focus is a pro- problem. It is a problem sometimes. And, uh, and maybe that's part of the, some of, one of the uh, challenges uh, in, in a practice like we do, where there's a lot of this inward focus, is to be able to differentiate between narcissism and healthy f- uh, inner focus that's not self-enhancing or making. And as a teacher, I talk to a lot of people about their practice, and every once in a while, in a great while, I talk to someone who is saying all the right words about, you know, focusing inwardly, and I kind of think, wait a minute, this somehow something doesn't seem quite right here. Maybe it's the frequency, frequency in which they use the word I, it's just like, this is like, it seems like every other word is I. <laughs> and so, so it, it can be a problem, what we're, look, what we're talking about here. But the important thing is, it doesn't have to be. There is something really beautiful that awaits us within, that we can cultivate in a beautiful desire to awake to do it. So, um, the... Um, uh, so the kind of the, uh, the, uh, there's something called four right efforts, which I've talked about this last week. So some of you have heard this already, but I think it's worth uh, hearing again if you did. So these four right efforts have to do, first two have to do with the unwholesome, the inner thoughts, ideas, impulses, motivations, desires that are within us that are unwholesome, unbeneficial. They're called, and by the Buddha, afflictive. They hurt. There's an ouch in them. And, um, and then there's the uh, wholesome, which uh, are beneficial. They bring about welfare. They bring out a certain kind of healthy kind of pleasure. They kind of, they feel good to, to have them. So two, two of the right efforts have to be about the unwholesome, and two have to do with the wholesome. The unwholesome, the Buddha says... Uh, uh, have the desire to make an effort to to prevent the arising of unwholesome states. So if every time you go in the shopping channel, you feel miserable from the exhaustion of all the things you want to buy, so that's unho- that desire to want to buy all those things is unwholesome. So have the desire to prevent that from happening, 
don't go on the shopping channel or limit yourself to a minute or do something else, you know. Anyway, so there are things we can do to just avoid, have the wisdom to know what to avoid because it triggers you in ways that are not healthy. The second right effort is to, uh, is to uh, bring up the desire to make the effort. So it's not just a desire for something, but the desire to work for it, to make the effort for it. Bring up the effort to abandon the unwholesome that has, uh, that's happening inside of you. And what's this very important part of this language? Because uh, Buddhism often gets associated with letting go. These Buddhists are all about letting go. When the Buddha talks about what we let go of, it's always inner mental states which are unhealthy. I don't think he's hardly ever talks about letting go of things in the world. But he is t- talking about the letting go of greed and hatred that we have, resentment, envy, avariciousness, all kinds of things that are inside that are unwholesome. So the world is the world, but how we relate to the world is the issue. So this abandoning of what is unwholesome, have the desire for it. Then have the desire for, the, for evoking wholesome states. So wholesome states are good, so what would you do to evoke them more? Make sure you get enough sleep if you can. Make sure you have some downtime. Be sure you spend time with people who inspire you and bring out the best in you. Make sure you uh, don't go on the shopping, uh, shopping channel. Go if you, can, if you really have to do a channel. Go on some, some channel that inspires you, makes you feel good and kind of delightful for you. Whatever it is. Um, you know, there's, a, there's choices to be made here. It's not just leaving things to chance. And part of the choices is what, we, what behaviors we avoid and what behaviors we engage in. That's what a wise life is involved in that kind of reflection and thinking. And then um, uh, evoke the desire to make the effort to develop, expand, thrive, uh, strengthen, increase the wholesome. The Buddha uses a whole series of words here. What you do, all these you know, kind of phenomenal words, like the word abundance is in there, or increase and develop, strengthen. Uh, <clears throat> so avoid the wholesome, cultivate the unwholesome. So I went through this review for some of you because it's for a very important reason. Having desire to develop, to strengthen the wholesome is important. That desire is important. We want to look at the desire, study the desire, get to know your desire to ensure that your desire is wholesome. That the desire is not, it doesn't have any unwholesome mixed in it. If there's unwholesomeness mixed with your desire for spiritual practice, chances are you're going to suffer. Chances are you'll have stress. And not a few people 
have gone, done something like meditation or Buddhist practice, and they're greedy, like I, or they're ambitious, or they're afraid, and they're, you know, or they feel like there's a duty and they have to, they should do it, or they're trying to get rid of something that they don't like, and so they're doing the practice because of their aversion. Those are all unwholesome states. And if you, those states are mixed into the desire, the desire becomes unwholesome. So what is a wholesome desire? Wholesome desire has no stress as part of it. And do you have any, do you have any inkling of what a stress-free desire is like? You have a lot of desires every day. I guarantee it. The desire to go pee. Desire to open the door. A few of those desires have no stress in them. You do them almost mindlessly, almost like unselfconsciously. Study those desires that you have through the day that have no stress in them. And see, get, a, get a hang of them, a feel for it, to get a sense of what it's like to have desires that well up that um, are stress-free, tension-free. Also, there are desires that, the wholesome desires, um, have no, um, they don't have any sense of burden to them. I think the burden obligation, I don't know if that's always unwholesome exactly, but it's rarely going to produce wholesome feeling in the desire. I think, rarely, sometimes. And, um, and so, certainly no sense of burden in the desire. No big, I should do this. But rather, it's more like the feeling inside, maybe translate this for yourself, but for me to say, it's more like the feeling inside. Wow, <laughs> I have the opportunity for this. Wow. Let's do it. How often do you have that feeling? You get up in the morning to make your breakfast. Wow, I'm so lucky. I get to have this desire for food, for breakfast, and desire to make something here, as opposed to make breakfast like I have to get sober as quickly as I can because I have important things to do, like, like, to, like maybe meditate and learn to be present. <laughs> instead of learning to be present with making breakfast. So what I'm trying to point to here is the idea that we can become the students of desire, of your desire, and to discover how your desire can be wholesome, beneficial, something that brings you some sense of nourishment or support or delight or joy in the pursuit of other wholesome things. Do you have any sense, do you have any clear idea of what inner movements, desires, feelings, impulses, emotions, motivations, mind states, heart states, that feel for you nourishing, supportive, delightful, inspiring? And I would suggest that for many people in our society, they have very little experience of this without having the world evoke them for them. 
And so they go looking in the world for something to do that is going to bring up these good things inside. But, but to discover how to find it in oneself and really recognize it in oneself and then have it kind of be able to have the desire to strengthen it, to expand it, to grow it, to take that seedbed and water it and fertilize it and do what it takes to develop it and grow it. So the Buddha said, if it were not possible to develop the wholesome, I would not teach you to develop the wholesome. But it is possible to develop the wholesome. Therefore, I tell you, develop the wholesome. So I hope by the end of this 30 minutes, if when the first time I said it, it was a little bit burdensome for you to hear. <laughs> so, oh no, <laughs> more work, these Buddhists. I'm hoping after the end of this talk that maybe have some sense that this actually could be a quite inspiring teaching. And, um, and maybe it's one that uh, will prepare you to get ready for the new year. So um, thank you very much. And we have uh, 15 minutes before we usually end, so we can take maybe a few, little bit of that if you want to ask any questions or comments. And before we, t- over here, the last thing I'll say is, um, you can go ahead and give them the mic, is so we're, we're not going to be open next Sunday. Uh, so the, that'll be the January 1st. So we, won't, we won't meet here, and so we'll, we'll meet, um, so I'll be back the following. So, uh, yeah, I won't be here the following Sunday either. Uh, we'll probably have a guest teacher for that week. Hi, Gail. Uh, my name is Rick. Thanks for the talk. And uh, I just wanted to ask you if you would mind elaborating on something to make it more real for me. Um, I definitely relate to, like, the joy of sitting down and making music or sometimes just having my croissant. But... I wonder, you said there's something very beautiful within that we can cultivate. I would love to just hear an example or two of how that is real for you. Uh-huh. I think love is one of them. Kindness, love, that uh, is in there, a warmth, a tenderness. There is also uh, sometimes a sense of generosity that's there that's quite beautiful and strong and full, kind of embodied generosity, not like just like a policy in the head. There is sometimes feelings of uh, peace that are quite lovely, to f- tranquility to feel inside that are considered wholesome. There is joy, happiness. Is that enough? <laughs> Contentment is another one. <laughs> Thank you. Gil, um the word uh, kushala, it comes from a grass called kushala grass, which is very sharp. So you find it used throughout the scriptures. Um, it has, even though they translate it as skillful, it has the connotation of razor sharp skills, like a, a person walking on a tightrope or somebody operating with missionary, there they can get injured. So it refers to the discriminative knowledge. And in fact, um, in the Bhagavad Gita, 
this is one of the definitions for yoga. Yoga is called yoga karmashu kaushalam. It is skill. It's fine to keep your mask on. I hear you fine. Yoga is called uh, skill in action. It's it's called um, yoga karmashu kaushalam. So it's a skill. It's the razor sharp skill in action. So I I just want to. Great, great. Thank you. I've heard that before, and I said it, it takes a lot of skill to be able to pick the grass, because you'll get cut if you're not careful how you pick it. I just wanted to say thank you for your teaching all year, uh-huh. and all the years. Great. Thank you, Gil. Um, Regarding desire, um, I'm aware of desires that I have that create a great deal of tension, and that is the desire to be better at something. I happen to be a dentist, and I have a desire to be a better dentist, and it creates a lot of tension. Uh How do I react to that, or how do you, what would Uh you react to that? So when we start with the the top, kind of the top end, or like bird's eye view, looking at this desire of yours yours that brings tension, uh, what would be a wholesome way of beginning to address it? Hard work. Then step back further. Does hard hard work feel wholesome to you? Yes. Oh, so tell me how that works. How does hard work feel wholesome? How do you, you, you feel better after you work hard? Oh, yes. I, my, my highest highs are after having accomplished something difficult and having done it well. Great. Lovely. So now how would you address, how, using that way of working hard, how would you now address this tension around uh, wanting to do it better? I am, <clears throat> I'm aware of I mean, I work because I want to work, and I enjoy it a lot. I don't have to work anymore. It's different than I was 20 years ago. But um, I'm aware of a, a kind of another conflicting desire, like, why would I go to work and do something that's very difficult when I could just sit at home? You know, and I could sit at home and listen to meditation tapes or music, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> And it's an interesting quandary that in my own mind, I mean, I, I would like to be comfortable, but I want to be, um, have, have the accomplishment. I guess I'm kind of seeking the high of having done something well. Uh-huh. And that is just hard work and requires a lot of, creates a lot of tension. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that uh, the, the, I mean, the generic answer, uh, response to you is for you to spend a lot of time being mindful of what's really driving you and what's really happening underneath the layers that's happening in your mind because there's probably layers of beliefs and attachments and clinging operating there that you don't even see, especially because of all the tension and it has in there. And um, so I think you, uh, to do some kind of deep investigation of this, maybe with the help of someone else who can, you can have me in conversation with and kind of dig, dig into it would be really nice. But you also seem to have something really wonderful about you, and that you have this wonderful sense of uh, 
doing and throwing yourself in to do something really well, uh, that uh, seems like could be a beautiful thing to free from all the tension. To do it without any tension, but to do it with delight and wholeheartedness is a wonderful thing. And listening to you, I wondered whether doing your dent I don't know where you do it now, but if you do your dentistry in a different place than you're doing it, do, uh, do it for free for people who are low income. And I wonder if that would give you a whole different sense of accomplishment and a whole different level of challenge. Uh, because you say you don't need to anymore. Uh, and that, that would kind of allow you to explore a whole different side of yourself that would come and grow than, uh, than you can if you do it like in the old, what you've been doing for all these years. Yeah, I, I do a fair amount of that. Fantastic. And, that's, um, and, and does that make a difference where you do it in terms of your, what you're talking about here? Not really, no. Oh. It doesn't matter if somebody's paying a lot of money or, not very, or no money. Uh-huh. The, the, it's the work and the outcome of the work that matters. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think you have something good going here, but uh, there's something for you to discover there that frees you from the tension. And it might even allow you to... Uh, it, it, without the tension, you might actually find that you enjoy it even more, that there's a, you're, you're kind of in the flow of it in a much more a beautiful way, wonderful way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had heard the word um, chanda offered once as like a, a counterpart to tanha as wholesome desire. And um, and then another scholar told me that it's more like neutral, like you want to turn left here to go yeah. where you're going, which was disappointing because I had named my dog chanda by that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it brings up a whole new thing of neutral sort of desire. Yeah. Um, but my question as a practitioner is um, a tendency to cross-examine myself. Is this spiritual materialism? Am I, uh, is it becoming grasping? So I guess like a distinction between a wholesome desire that's inspirational and, and, and leading to a good place versus sort of a near enemy of uh, wanting. Well, from Sarva, the what you said first about chanda, so the the Pali word C H A N D A, is um, I don't know if it's actually neutral, but it's um, it's um, ambidextrous. So it can be uh, the word can be used both for wholesome and un- unwholesome, and sometimes in context it's, it's clear it's being it's unwholesome, in context it's wholesome. And um, so it kind of can take different shapes that way. So it's still a good, very good word in context. So in the context of your life, it's still a good, good name. <laughs> and um, so then uh, the, you're asking about the difference between wholesome desire and grasping. One, what? Spiritual grasping. Yeah, yeah spiritual grasping, yeah. It, uh, if... Um, uh, if you have some incl- some intuition that there's spiritual grasping going on, um, then uh, see if you can uh, flush out the stress or the dukkha, the suffering that's part of that grasping. Um, because sometimes it, it's a, it, get, becoming an expert in recognizing stress 
or tension or dukkha, the Buddhist word suffering, uh, becoming really sensitive, more and more sensitive to how it operates, even the most subtle ways, um, is a window to be able to identify what's unwholesome. So suffer better. <laughs> uh, thank you for a very nice session on the wholesomeness of the desire. Uh, I think in our first conversation, one-on-one with you, I have presented to you that uh, my connection with Buddha was, I used to visit this place, um, uh, it was actually a hotel where they had a, um, uh, a restaurant called Lumbini. Lumbini is essentially the birthplace of uh, uh, Buddha. Yes. Um, and right next to it, they had a bar called Trishna within the same compound, the hotel called Siddharth. And uh, Trishna is essentially in, in Sanskrit. Me. So you say a bar in the hotel is called Krishna? Trishna. Krishna. Trishna is the... Trish, yeah. Oh, oh, Trishna. I mean, yes. uh, like uh, we say in Pali, Desire, like Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Oh, the name of the bar is is called thirst. Cra- cra- <laughs> craving. Trish, yes. <laughs> so I, I wondered, like, I mean, if that's like a wholesome uh, uh, desire or like, I mean, that's uh, like, it's, why would they would name it that way? I mean, Well, oh, they're just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> so the word uh, in Pal in Pali it's tanna in Sanskrit I think it's uh, trish, trish, trishna. trisha trisha trishna trishna icha, yeah trishna. and um, it's under I don't know with all the meanings or you know different areas of India and English of uh, Indian language but in, at least in the Buddhist terminology it means uh, it literally means thirst but it has the connotation of uh, craving. And so, the, so a good place to go for the craving for alcohol is to the bar. <laughs> so they're just being honest. <laughs> and I, I would hope a Buddhist would see that and say, oh, that's not my place. <laughs> so he would rather go to Lumbini than to Trishna. <laughs> so so well, fascinating that at Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha, there's a bar called that. No, the the restaurant was Lumbini and the bar was Trishna. Ah, I see. Great. Well, <laughs> maybe the last one, please. Yeah, this might be. My, my name is Katitha. Um, this might be similar to a question that was asked, but I still wanted to ask it. Um, two wholesome desires that I feel like I have. Um, they feel like they're in tension with each other. One is the generosity and wanting to help others. And the other is to like be in community and just to be with others. Um, and yeah, I guess my question is, yeah, the, the, they almost seem to like work against each other to the point where it feels like I can only really cultivate one. Um, and I'm just wondering, I guess, what do I do about that? In the sense of like, I have this deep desire to help others and to be better and to, to just um, when I say help others and help myself, just be the best I c- we can be. And I work in mental health and just to like, you know, so everything around me I see in this way in light of how we can be better and do better for each other. And then I see community 
and I try to be in community, um, but it's difficult for me because it's not it's not achieving like the standards I have I for myself or wanting people to be better. So I'm like constantly um, judging the way we do things, the way we reach out together, and just just different things like that. And I'm just wondering how to. So let me so so let me see if I understand. So the desire to be generous to do good for the world is really out there in the wider world. So to live in a community bounds you, limits you, for, because that takes time to be in community. And so then you have less time to do the work, the good work out there. So is that the tension? Yeah, and I need community, and I want to do it with another, I guess, wholesome desire is to do it with people, right? But it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to work together sometimes. Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. noticing people, don't, you know, we work differently worked and it's like, I don't know. There's like a, it's, it's almost hard for me to sit in that. Yeah. yeah. Community is uh, easy except for the people who are in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so, so, uh, I mean, I, I mean, this is a really important topic. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I feel like whatever I say will be just shorthand for, okay. so please, yeah. for, you know, allow me. So one is that, um, um, Part of your desire to do good for others can be for the people in that community that you're in. And that t- t- takes much more work. It takes a lot more time. You get much more reward sometimes by doing things out there where you don't have to deal with the interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. But to, cl- to, to work on the interpersonal issues in a community, in a sangha or anywhere, is doing uh, similarly important inner work as sitting in meditation by yourself is doing inner work. Mm-hmm. You're purifying yourself, you're clarifying yourself, discovering yourself in, in really rich ways. And there's plenty of Buddhists who have not done the community part of work, mm-hmm. have just done a lot of meditation, and they're really truncated in terms of their development mm-hmm. because they haven't been challenged by interpersonal issues. Yeah. And if you really want to kind of really... Uh, uh, discover and work through a lot of the attachments and limitations and and unhealthy ways in which we can be, uh, to be find a community that you feel s- that the right place to struggle in for mm-hmm. you, uh, then then you're pure. You're kind of developing yourself and clarifying yourself, purifying yourself, and so the work you want to do beyond there is does two things. You're better at it because you know the interpersonal stuff really well. That's become that's become your clean channel now. And the other is. You've helped create a model for others about how a community can be together, and having more. We need more community models of healthy community. How does that sound? It's very inspiring, and it makes me want to just keep trying and to find a good community and to find a community that I can trust and feel safe in. And I think I have a few options. I just have to great. realize it's a process. Great, great. So, so it's not a community that is. Every, you don't go for a community of just of people who are all angels. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but That's rather, no fun. I don't enjoy those communities but, anyways. <laughs> but rather, it's more like, oh, these are the people I want to be in. If I'm going to be in conflict with someone, these are the people I want to be in conflict with. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. So thank you all for being here and uh, being part of this. And I wish you well for this end of the year and, and the beginning of the next one. And uh, Gloria is uh, hosting the potluck. And if you didn't bring anything, would like to stay, you're very welcome to stay for it. And um, and um, wish you well. Thank you.